0: church family. How are y'all doing today? Y'all doing good today? Well, um, Pastor Richie is speaking in Shawnee, Oklahoma, and we have a very special guest with us today, Natalie and Chandler Boyce. And Natalie has been one of our, we've known Natalie a lot longer than Chandler, but we totally adopt him in as like we've known him for a long time too. Um, But anyway, I want to ask you guys just to give Natalie a big Amarillo Fellowship welcome as she comes and brings the word this morning. Thank you. Ooh. Good morning. Man, how good was worship this morning? That new song. So good. Same God. It was wonderful. You guys are blessed with. I hope you know this, and I feel like I've said this every time I've been, been here, but I hope that you know how blessed you are with what you have as a church. You are so, so blessed. Yeah, let's do let's give a bigger hand than that for sure. Pastors Pam and Richie are just—they are the real deal. They are—they um, are. We are thankful for you. We love you guys, and we love your family. And um, they are just true pastors. And the church, you guys. Every time I come, I, I forget how good the worship is. I do. I forget how good the worship is. It's so good here. It's beautiful. I was like trying not to bawl and mess up all my makeup before I come come up on stage, but. Man, what a great sense of God's presence. Well, I'm excited to be here today. My name is Natalie, if we have not met. I've been here a couple times, and every time it's been a blast to come and visit with you all, and um, we've had a lot of life change in the last couple years, obviously, over uh, all of the world has shifted and changed since 2020, but for our family, my little family personally, we moved from Oklahoma to the great state of Texas, officially, yep, officially a Texan y'all and um, we're in Fort Worth and we are loving it it's been an adventure and uh, actually next week is a year officially we've been in Fort Worth and we have loved it loved uh, where God's placed us and um, enjoyed it thoroughly and you know this morning I want to just share a few minutes what God has been placing on my heart over this last couple months and and um You know, I think it's pretty common for us as people at the beginning of the year to evaluate, like, Life. <laughs> all right, we're starting over again. Another year. Let's look at our lives and see what's good. And, you know, we begin to look at our, our eating patterns. We look at our finances. We set some goals. We do whatever. Um, hopefully, you've made it to now on some of those goals. If you haven't, I encourage you just to pick up tomorrow and start anew. You don't have to wait till January next year to start all over again. Um, but I know by this month, it's like, oh man, have we made it? Whatever. Just pick up again tomorrow. But you know, one of the things that I think oftentimes we forget to evaluate is we forget to evaluate our relationships. Yeah. We start at the beginning of the year and we look at everything we need to improve and whatever, but oftentimes relationships like last on the list. And I've heard this phrase and I, I believe it wholeheartedly that our lives, our lives are the sum of our relationships. Right. They are the sum of our relationships. And so it's important that you and I take time and we evaluate the, the, the relationships that we have. What's good? What's not working? What we need to shift? What we need to change? If it's that crucial and important in our life. And, you know, it's funny. If we were to talk to, like, our teenagers or our young people, you know, it's something we talk about all the time. Relationships. Relationships are important. Be careful who you hang out with. Make sure you got godly relationships. But then we get... Grow up and we're like, eh, okay, relationships. It is what it is. I'm an adult. Relationships are harder. I don't know. We just, we just don't think about it. But it's just as true now as it was when we were 16 years old. Our lives are made up of the relationships that we have. And so it's important that we look at them. And, you know, um, we have this saying in church, the church world, and, and you guys might have some similar sayings here, um, is things like, you know, we, we, we're better together. We're better together. Or, or we love doing life together. Let's do life together. We have all these great sayings in church. And, and it's not just a churchy thing. That's a God thing. That's a scriptural thing. And we actually believe those things. That's why we say those things. But in truth, very few Christians are actually living out what it means to do life together what it means to have this community. And, you know, I'll say for me personally, just truthfully, honestly, relationships one of the biggest things I've had to work on in my life. And part of it is I'm an introvert by nature. I am very introverted, and so in the morning I don't wake up and think, who do I want to text today? Who do I want to hang out with today? The thought just, like, never crosses my mind. <laughs> and, and so I, I have to be intentional with relationships and work really, really hard at them. Because what ends up happening to us introverts is we're like fine and dandy at our house reading a book all cozied up, you know, not going anywhere, not talking to anybody. And then a few weeks go by and something terrible happens or we just start to get lonely and we're like, I'm so alone. I don't have any friends. I don't have anybody to talk to. Nobody knows what's going on. And I'm like, man, I should have like texted someone over the last three weeks. (laughs) I should have had a conversation. I should have invited someone over. And so it's important that we look at those and we be intentional. And I've had to, and God's really had to work on me uh, about relationships. And so today we're gonna look at a familiar passage in the Bible, and it's actually, I love this this whole passage in the Bible. Um, We're going to look at a passage in Acts, and it specifically gives us instructions on what relationships and community and this Christian life together is supposed to look look like, but I want to give you just a little bit of context before we look into um, the scriptures we're going to read. In the book of Acts, or the book of Acts chapter 2 is where we're going to read, it's incredible what's going on. The disciples are gathered. There's people coming from everywhere. Jews coming from all over, all different languages, all different kinds, people coming everywhere. And, and here they are. Jesus has died. He is resurrected, and he has ascended. And the, the disciples are, like, on fire. They are pumped up. They are ready to go. And in Acts 2, you, you have to go later today and read through the whole chapter because we're not going to read through everything. But amazing things happen. Yeah. The Holy Spirit is poured out amazing miracles, signs and wonders begin to happen. And then Peter stands up and delivers the message of Jesus. He invites people, follow Jesus. This is what he is our Messiah. He's the one we've been waiting for. And in that moment, 3000 people are saved. 3000. How incredible would that be to see it? 3,000 people are saved and baptized, and they begin to follow Jesus. And then they start what we refer to as the beginning of the New Testament church. They start this life together. And here's where I want to pick up and look. Acts 2, starting at verse 42, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. If you, you have your Bible, you can highlight that or underline and the fellowship, underline that, to the breaking of bread, underline that, and the prayers, and you can underline that, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, underline that. I love this. Lots of amazing things are happening right here at the beginning of the New Testament church. But there's four things that I see very clearly for us that we should be doing because they devoted themselves to it. One, the apostles' teaching. Two, fellowship. Three, the breaking of bread. And four, to prayer. They devoted themselves to those things. But this morning, I want to just focus on two of those. I want us to look at fellowship and breaking bread. Of bread. Let's pray before we dive in. Lord, I thank you this morning that you are so good and so present here today. Already such a strong sense of your presence. And God, I thank you that you, you speak to us this morning. You speak to our hearts. You know exactly where we are, exactly what we're facing and going through. And, and more important than any word I have to say, Holy Spirit, is what you want to speak what you want to say to each person individually, and I pray you meet them right where they are. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen and amen. I have this belief, this strong belief, and, and I don't know if it's theologically correct or not. You can take it up with Pastor Pam and Richie later, if not. But I believe that there will be food in heaven. I believe there will be food in heaven. Awesome food in heaven. And here's why. Just just listen for a minute. Here's why. Because God could have created us to physically that we have everything we need, that we supply our own food, that we don't need any sort of outside source or sustenance, but he didn't. Or... He could have made food tasteless and odorless and that we just use it for sustenance and we pop a pill or go to a tree and there's the tree of the nutrients you need and you just grab it and pop it in. Doesn't taste like anything, doesn't smell anything. But he didn't. He made food awesome. He made it beautiful and aromatic and colorful and delicious and comforting. I believe there's going to be food in heaven. And it's going to be better food than what we had, have had here on earth. And then on top of this, you look at the Bible. And food is such a key part of the Bible. I mean, really, when you begin to think about it, from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, and there was a tree and a simple piece of fruit forever changes the course of history from a bowl of stew that was traded for an inheritance, from bread or manna falling from heaven and feeding the Israelites as they walked through the deserts and to Jesus' very first miracle. I want you to hear this. His first miracle was not raising the dead or it wasn't delivering someone or healing someone, it was turning water into wine. Hello. All my wine drinkers out there are like, hello, Jesus, turning water into wine. Amazing. Then he goes on, and he takes a few pieces of bread and a few pieces of fish, and he breaks them, and a miracle of feeding 5,000-plus people. I mean, there's so many to the very last supper that he has with his disciples. And he takes a piece of bread, and he takes a cup of wine, and he links those, those things inevitably, forever linked to the body, the very body of Christ. Food, I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's all throughout the, the Bible. And, you know, it's so prevalent in the Gospels that scholars have even said that Jesus actually ate his way through the Gospels. He ate his way through the Gospels. And I love that. Because food is important. It is. You think about even in our own culture, how important food is. Food is the expression of care. When we don't know what to do or what to say, someone's facing something that we don't know how to comfort them, we show up with a casserole We say, we love you. I don't know how to help, but I can feed you. When people are celebrating and partying at weddings and at funerals and at gatherings and at holidays and all these things, we we build our family around food and we we celebrate around food. We fall in love around food. Food is important. It is. And before you think, oh my gosh, I think I came to church today and this lady's about to give a message about food. (laughs) It's not really about the food. It's about what happens around the food. It's about what happens around the table. When we're gathered together, when we're in community, when we break bread and we fellowship with one another. But the truth is, for a lot of Christians, we have lost the importance and practice of breaking bread together. Of gathering around the table and actually getting to know one another, and connecting with one another. But you know, it's easy for us as Christians to take a very individualistic approach to our walk with God. It's easy for us to look at it that way. And you know the truth is, it is a very personal decision. When you decide to follow Jesus, there's nobody else that can make it for you. It's a decision between you and God. It is intimate. It is, it is personal. But the moment you make that decision, the very moment you are adopted into a family and you are integrated into the body of Christ, okay. you are a part of something, this Christian community, the moment you make that decision. And you know, I, I think it's a foreign concept to most of us today. I don't think we really understand what it is to be a part of something. And I, and I get it because we're... A part of the American culture and American society. And, and in our society, whether we want to mention, believe it or not, we are very me focused. We are very about the individual, and there's some great things to it. We're proud of it. We're proud that, you know, I made my way, and I, I built myself up. I'm self-made, self-taught, self-promoted, self-whatever it is. I mean, we, we've done it all. It's my family. It's, my, it's my, my success. It's my truth. It's about me. I mean, this is, this is where we are in a culture, but that's not how the Christians of the Bible were. That's not how the believers in this were. You know, in the Jewish culture, when you begin to study how they saw their walk with God, it wasn't a me mindset, it was a we perspective. So much so that if someone had need or someone, you know, maybe they fell into sin or something happened, they would take responsibility. They would see it as, oh, this is our sin. Let's, Let's lift you up. Let's help you. Let's help redeem you. Let's help bring you out of this. So much so that if someone had an issue or something going on or they lost a loved one, they would surround them and take care of them and build them up and bring them, take on responsibilities for them. So much so that when they sang, worship songs to God. It wasn't really I that often. It wasn't songs that we sing today that are beautiful songs about I give my devotion. No, no, no. Even the songs that they sang were we. We are worshiping together with one voice, with one unity. We we are together in this. They had this mindset of we, and that's hard for us to grasp. And so in our churches— and I would venture to say even here in an awesome church like Amarillo Fellowship, yeah. yes, in our churches today, there are a lot of people trying to do Christian life alone. Yeah, true. They're trying to work out their salvation all by themselves, trying to figure out how to do it. And we were never intended to do it alone. We were never intended to be able to even figure it out alone to figure out how to be a Christian and walk it out, how to do marriage as Christians, how to raise family as Christians. We were never meant to do it alone. And I'm just not, I'm really, I'm not sure if we really understand what Christianity looks like or what it truly is meant to be without true Christian fellowship. I don't think we really understand it. Your walk with God and your walk with fellow believers were meant to be inseparable. Yeah. Yeah. They were meant to work out together, yeah. Yeah. to be inseparable. And so I want to talk about those two things this morning, fellowship and breaking of bread. So one, we're going to talk about fellowship. So what exactly is fellowship? You all should know what fellowship is. Yeah. It's in the name of your church. You should know what it is. But honestly, I feel like there are a lot of people that don't really know what that is. They don't understand it. it's, oh yeah, that's a church term, fellowship, or oh yeah, that's, you know, whatever it is, but it is a powerful, powerful thing. It really is, and you know, I remember in the day. Now it's not as often, but I remember years ago when I was young, fellowship was used all the time in conversation. Oh, let's go here and we'll have some fellowship together. That's not really heard as often. They're like, Fellowship? What's fellowship? Yes. Let's fellowship together. Let's sit down. So much so that we had fellowship halls. We had places that we went to fellowship together. So, church, when it was over, it was not over. It was the beginning. The potluck came out, the casseroles came out, and we went to the fellowship hall, which for whatever reason was often a gymnasium and I don't know why. And we broke bread and we would eat together and we'd hang out together, all these things. Fellowship was a big part of our culture and we've, we've kind of lost some of that. So what is fellowship? Fellowship, I looked up some of the definitions and I love it. Fellowship, it means companionship. A community of people who share the same interests, feelings, and passions. Communion. A group of people or organization that has the same purpose, a brotherhood, a partnership. And you know, in the, in the Bible, there's actually a specific word used in Greek that, that tries to, that we've t- coined as fellowship, that tries to really explain what fellowship was and what it looks like for these, this group of believers. And it was the word koinonia, koinonia. I wanna read a little bit of what this is. It depicts an interactive relationship between God and believers who are sharing new life through Christ. The Greek word captures the entirety of this relationship. It involves active participation. I love that. You're not just a part of it by default. Active participation in Christian community. Sharing in spiritual blessings and giving material blessings. The essential element of koinonia is participation. Christ is what connects us. Christ is what connects us. And I love this thought. And in this this passage in Acts, it goes so far to say that they had all things in common. How is that even possible? How is it possible that they have all things in common? They spoke different languages. They came from different cities. They came from different upbringings. They had different backgrounds. They were different ages. How is it possible that they have all things in common? Because when you have Jesus, you have everything in common. When you have Jesus, you have everything in common. I want you to really think about this. You know, um, before the the lockdown happened in 2020, uh, my husband and I, I feel bad I did not introduce him, but you kind of did. That's Chandler. He's my husband. I love him. Um, <laughs> um, but before the, the lockdown happened in 2020, like right before, we went on a trip to Washington, D.C. We got this opportunity to go on a ministry trip with a lot of other ministers, and, and, um, and it was awesome. It was really an amazing trip. But my favorite part of the whole trip is we got to go see the Museum of the Bible. And if you ever go to Washington, D.C., you have to go to the Museum of the Bible. It is amazing. It really is. And um, we, we walked all through it. We're with this group of, of, of other ministers and all this stuff. And we walk into this room, and it's just this beautiful little room. And the whole room is covered in Bibles, Bibles of all different languages, all different dialects, hundreds of Bibles. And then within the room, there are little lit up areas that are translations that they're still wanting to write the Bible in. Lit up areas of translations that are still needed. And I am standing in there seeing these hundreds of Bibles looking, looking around. And honestly, just found myself in awe. Like, people from all these different countries... And all these different places, living completely different life than I do, follow the same God I do. Yeah. How amazing is that? Yeah. And you know, I'm standing there kind of having this moment, and as I am, this family walks in, and they're speaking a different language, look completely different than I do, and the dad is standing there looking around and kind of having, I can tell he's feeling the same things I am, and we, we look and catch eyes with one another, and he just says, isn't this amazing? And I said, yes, this is. And we have this, like, moment of connection just in this one moment that we're both witnessing and just in awe of the, how amazing God is and the message of Jesus. Yeah. And, you know, I had this thought while I'm standing here listening to him speak in a different language with his family. We are completely different. We probably have very little in common, but yet we have Jesus in common. And so this stranger standing next to me, I have more in common with this man than I do some of my neighbors. I have more in common with this man than I do even some of my family, because we have the most important thing in common, and that is Jesus. When we have Jesus, we have all things in common. We have all things in common. And you know, there are Christians sitting in this room today thinking, Oh, I'm here at church, but man, I'm just looking around. There's nobody that I have anything in common with. They don't know me, and I don't, you know, I have, I've lived a very different life than most of these people. They're, I'm very different than them, whatever it is. And you might be thinking that, and I mean, we've all bought into that lie at different times, that thought. But let me tell you, it is a lie of the enemy. It is not the truth. Because when you have Jesus in common, you have everything you need in common. And there may be, you may be a 20-year-old girl and there's a 70-year-old grandma sitting in front of you. And let me tell you, that relationship could be the best relationship that you have. And it would probably be better than any other 20-year-old relationship that you would have. And she'd have more to give you. But you have Jesus. So you have everything in common that you need you have all things in common so good. when you have Jesus. But you know what? Honestly, and a, th- a reason I think we've lost this thought and this power, and then you have people hopping around trying to find their people in churches. and churches. And I'm not opposed to finding people that are in the same. Um, do it. Find a group that connects with you. Find a, a people that are in the same walk of life. There's power to it. But But I think we've lost a little bit of the importance of Jesus being the main factor that ties us. Because the truth is, a lot of people, Christians today, just don't really talk about Jesus very often. We don't feel comfortable. We don't feel comfortable talking about Jesus. We don't feel comfortable stopping and just saying, can I pray with you? Man, you're telling me all these things you're going through. Let's pray about it. When is the last time? I just want to challenge you. When is the last time that you've asked someone? tell me about your like story, your Jesus story. What's your testimony? When's the last time you asked someone, what is God talking to you about? What are you reading in the word? This is what it is to be a part. We should feel safe and comfortable to have those conversations, to ha- talk to someone and say, I don't understand this. Why is this? I don't understand the scripture. Why is this in the Bible? Can you help me figure this out? I don't know either. Let's look it up. Let's figure it out. Let's read some books about it. Let's grow together. You know what? Let's work out our salvation together. This is what it is to be a part of a community of believers. That is what fellowship is. It's special. Nobody, there is no other person but the body of Christ, Christians that understand truly what fellowship is. And we get the privilege to be connected through Jesus. God has created us to walk deeply connected with him. But he has created us to walk deeply connected with one another. So much so that throughout the Bible, and I love this, in the New Testament multiple times, it actually calls us the body of Christ and gives us the example of a physical body. I want to read this in 1 Corinthians because I love this. 1 Corinthians 12 12 through 13 in the Message Bible, you can easily enough see how this kind of thing works by looking no further than your own body. Your body has many parts, limbs, organs, cells, but no matter how many parts you can name, you're still one body. It's exactly the same with Christ. By means of his one spirit, we all said goodbye to our partial, piecemeal lives. We each used to independently call our own shots, but then we say that but then we entered into a large and integrated life in which he has the final say in everything. This is what we proclaimed in word and action when we were baptized. Each of us is now a part of his resurrection body, refreshed, sustained at one fountain, his spirit. We're all where we all come to drink. The old labels. We were once used, we once used to identify ourselves. Labels like Jew or Greek, slave or free, they're no longer useful. We need something larger, more comprehensive. Church, what label are you holding on to that is more meaningful to you than the label of believer? What are you holding on to that is more important and more meaningful to you to try to build community around that and shape your identity around that, then believer. Because we are no longer those things. We no, no longer can say, oh, I'm, this. I'm I, this, my success is what labels me. My background is what labels me. My, my, my what, where I live, the side of town that I live on, the school that I go to, the, the male or female, whatever it is, we are not labeled by those, our first label is Christian. Yeah. Amen. Our first label is believer, and that's what we identify with. Amen. Number two, the breaking of bread. We talked about fellowship, and I want to talk about the breaking of bread just for a minute. It says they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread, and later it goes on to say they went house to house breaking bread. I love this thought. They went house to house breaking bread. And, you know, I've, I've heard, heard messages in the past and heard people teach that it's referring to two things, sharing actual communion together. When we, when we celebrate and we remember that Jesus died on the cross for us and we do communion, which I'm sure that you do here in church every so often where you break bread and you do communion. And then it's also re- referring to the common meal, that, that you have bread, dinner together, and you break bread, but I love the way that Charles Spurgeon talks about this writing. He says, I want you to notice this, that they were breaking bread from house to house and ate their food with gladness and singleness of heart. They did not think that religion was meant only for Sundays and for what men nowadays call the house of God. Their own houses were houses of God. And their own meals were so mixed and mingled with the Lord's Supper that to this day, the most cautious student of the Bible cannot tell when they stopped eating their common meals and when they began eating the supper of the Lord. I love this because I've had this happen that I'm just simply sitting down for dinner brunch with a friend. We're talking and we're visiting. But then suddenly the conversation turns and this moment becomes sacred. And this moment becomes holy. And this moment becomes Christ-centered. And this special and holy moment. You know, I've been a Christian for a long time. I've been raised in church my whole life. I can't remember... I mean, it's hard for me to even remember weekends without church. Grew up in church, pastor's kid, whole time, you know, every week, church. You know, you think you'd you'd get sick of it, but I still love it. And, you know, when I think back at church, I've had the privilege of sitting in so many awesome worship services and so many incredible messages, powerful messages. But, you know, the thing that I remember the most and that my heart clings to the most, even from when I was really young, are just sitting down, hanging out with fellow believers, eating dinner together, talking, visiting, talking about Jesus, talking about the message. Those, to me, are the most impactful moments that I've had in my Christian walk of decades. And you know, my parents, they had three small children, all back to back, two years apart, and then 11 months apart. So back to back, you know, no wonder my mom's still recovering. <laughs> um, and they started a church. And you know, the things I remember when I'm a kid, I don't I don't remember, I remember loving church. I remember loving children's church. I remember loving things. But my favorite memories were after church. We'd get done with a couple services. And my parents would invite three to five other couples. And we would, and each of these three to five couples had between three and five kids. And we would often go to Pizza Hut or Golden Corral, if you have Golden Corral around here. Or somewhere that it was very buffet style and easy, and we would just go take over the place and destroy it. I feel terrible now, later on in life, but it is what it is. And we'd hang out for you know an hour and a half, two hours. Kids crawling under the tables. I just remember this. I loved it. I looked forward to it every Sunday. this sense of like this is my my people, my family. I felt like I belonged because of those moments. And then, you know, years later, when I was a teenager and a young adult, was, every Sunday night after church, never fails, there'd be like between 20 and 30 of us go Chili's, take over, go to IHOP, take over, hang out, we're talking about the message, how good was the worship. And we talk about, what are we going to do with our lives? What do we want to do with this? Trying to hope and scope for that that person we're going to marry. But man, I love those moments. Just hanging out with those friends, talking about Jesus. You know, across the table. Across the table from my youth leader when I was in youth was when I finally opened up and started talking about a toxic relationship that I was in. And they helped me begin to get free from this relationship. Across the table, over coffee and a Starbucks, is when I had the thought, I think this man might be the person I'm supposed to marry. Talking about Jesus, talking about our futures. I just remember having a moment like, I think, this man could be the one. Across the table, gathered in our tiny house, our first home, where it was, the kitchen was so small. We literally had like a four bistro table and some stools pulled up. And we did a small group and had all young married couples. And there was like 20 people packed in this tiny house. And I don't, forever, for whatever reason, people hover in the kitchen. So like, we're all like around this tiny you know like table like yeah that's awesome people are standing everywhere I'm like please I have a couch right over there Um, but yes we talk and hang out and inevitably the last couple to leave every week was what became our first real friends as a couple and they walked through some really hard stuff with us and I am forever thankful for them and the friends that they are. Across the table, across the table, I sat down with the first female worship pastor I had ever seen. And I was in awe of her and just blown away. I'd never seen a female worship leader, pastor. I'd seen someone do like soloist as a woman, but not like a worship leader. And she looked at me and she said, Natalie, I think you're anointed to do this. I think God has a calling on your life. And she began to confirm the things that God had been telling me and talking to me about for the first time. Across the table. And She challenged me. I think you should go into ministry. Amazing things can happen across the table. You know, moving this past year. Moving. You know, people say moving is exciting and fun. It's not. I hate to burst your bubbles if you never move. The idea in your mind may be like, ooh, one day I want to move. No, it's not. It's hard. It's draining. It's exhausting. We left all of our community, all of our family, everybody we know. And you guys, I'm turning 40 40 this year, and I've never been away, lived in a different city than my family. And we leave all this and we know we're supposed to go there. We feel called, we feel at peace about it, but it's hard. You lose all your childcare. You gotta find new pediatricians, new doctors. I mean, seriously, it's a lot. You gotta find new everything. I'm like, I need a doctor, I need a dentist, I need a, where do I shop? I need a, a Walmart, I need a grocery store. Where do I drop off my dry cleaners? I mean, there's so much to work through. And um we walked into this church, we knew God had called us there, and we love it. We love the church, we love, come. the, the messages are great and the, everything's awesome. The, the Sunday mornings, they feel great. But you know what we've fallen in love with? It's not anything that happens on Sunday mornings. We fell in love with this community. Because of a couple that the first couple of months that we showed up, they literally were like, we're gonna be there in an hour, we got food, we know you're painting and your house is a wreck, we don't care, we're bringing dinner, we're hanging out. Multiple couples that just let us invade their swimming pool all summer long because we had a daughter that loves to swim and no pool to swim at. People that we had coffees with that came to our house, that we went to their houses and suddenly, strangers, became friends, and already in a year, some of those friends have become like family, all because of what happens across the table. You know, in our church, in churches across the world, every Sunday, every Sunday, people come to know Jesus, and I am so thankful for that. Christians come with their burdens and their cares and their pain and their sin and their struggles and they come to the altar, you know. You may not walk forward always, but that's what they're doing. They're coming to the altar. They're flooding to the altar with their pain, their struggles. They're flooding to the altar to meet Jesus and you guys. I I would never tire of that, seeing that. It's beautiful and I'm so, I feel so privileged that I get to witness that. But the truth is, We need a revival of people coming to the table of God. We need a revival of Christians saying, why don't you come to my house after church? Why don't we go to dinner together today? Why don't we do this together? How about we grab coffee this week? We need a revival of people coming to the table of God and breaking bread and fellowshipping because that's what Christianity is. And you know, if we as preachers are being honest, if we're being totally transparent, we know this, that sermons, they're awesome. And we pray every week that you come and you get challenged and you get changed, but the truth is sermons don't really bring the true lasting change all the time. You know what does? Conversation does. Sermons, they spark the change. Conversations they create the change. So, I want to encourage you this morning. Maybe you're brand new, or maybe you've been here for a long, long time. I want to encourage you step out, join a group, or whatever you guys call it here. Join a small group, step out, and just make a commitment. Every Sunday, I'm gonna ask someone to go to lunch see who does. I'm going to find someone. Hmm, I like her hair. Hey, you with the hair. You want to grab lunch? Find someone, join a group, break bread, fellowship with one another. Cause let me tell you, your Christianity, it is not what it's supposed to be. It doesn't look like what it's meant to be. You are missing out on a beautiful, beautiful thing when you are missing out on the body of Christ and being connected with the body of Christ. That is what being a part of the family of God is. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for your presence this morning. Lord, I thank you that you are so good. And Lord, that we get the privilege to be a part of this church and this community. And God, I pray that you you provoke us this morning to change. Us introverts that need a little push and a little help. Or the extroverts, Lord, give give an extrovert eyes for an introvert to adopt. Lord, whatever it is, we need you and we need each other. And God, I thank you that you make us more aware of that this morning. And you help challenge us to step out and see, God, how you meet us with fellowship and communion. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen and amen.